You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. Fourth down, Greenlee, time, inside, touchdown! Josiah Blandon brings it in back of the end zone for Fresno State from five yards out. And some life for the Bulldogs as Greenlee comes in and converts on the fourth down. Greenlee, passing open man, Jordan, Jameer Jordan, first down and a lot more, goes by Williams! Electrifying play for Jameer Jordan. Outruns everybody on the Utah defense for another Fresno State touchdown. Onside kick. Look out. It's loose. It's recovered by Fresno State. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Michael Martins on special teams. Grabs the onside kick in a three-score game with eight minutes to go. And the Bulldogs get it back. First down, Greenlee. Deep ball. End zone. Caught for a touchdown. Damari Scott on the go route. And how about Fresno State? And Greenlee off the bench. Three touchdown passes. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. And those are the highlights from the last game Fresno State had here at home at Utah against Utah State. So without further ado, let's get the show rolling. We've got a lot to cover today. So joining me today is, well, I got both the boys on the line today. So to, let's start off with Josh Webb. What's up, everybody? How are we doing today? Oh, uh, we're doing great, Josh. Uh, <laughs> it was a tough loss for, for Fresno State, but they, they almost held in there until the end. So it was a lot better game than the previous one. Uh, we... We, we, we may we may have to uh, we may have to get to that that topic of discussion of whether or not they almost held in there or Utah let them back in there. Hey, I'm just uh, well, 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 yeah, you're, you're just trying I'm sugarcoating it a little bit. <laughs> you're just trying to turn it into chicken salad. I get it. I get it. Well, you but know. Uh, but I, I mean, making his long awaited return to the podcast after years in the Amazon <laughs> forest is my good partner, my good buddy, and and oftentimes the the more sane half of of this duo, if you will, Jackson Moore. Yeah, how are you guys doing? Great, Jackson. How how's it going? You, you've been I know you've been a pretty busy man lately, uh just trying to keep up with everything. Uh but are you you ready to to nail one out of the ballpark today in this podcast? Yeah, it's been interesting having uh, two of the teams that I'm covering, Fresno State and San Jose State, play each other this early in the season, too. It's just both teams are kind of trying to figure out where they're at, and I'm trying to do the same writing these articles. <laughs> well, that's why we asked you on the show, because it, it is the Bulldogs are playing a team that you cover and, well, pretty much specialize in. So, you know, how could we do an episode without you this time? <laughs> so we had to get you on here. So, all right, Josh, 
I think we're going to we're going to have to start digging into this one. I know you were you were saying that I was kind of sugarcoating this one, but uh it, something happened that we were all too well afraid of with, you know, Virgil. I mean, didn't we say this earlier in the season that he was going to have to put on some weight in order to take a punishment? And then we thought last week he was starting to prove us wrong. Lo and behold, he gets injured. He's out for the season. What's your take on this, Josh? Well, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say, like, oh, I told you so, or this, that, and the other. Like, I, I, I mean, on the one hand, Chase and Virgil went out there and, and proved that he mentally was very ready for this. This is something that he could handle, and he very much looks like the promising future of the quarterback position. On the dominant hand, putting him in there against Ole Miss and Utah, like as as many people predicted, didn't enable him to see out the end of the season. Um, it is what it is. Uh, Fresno State now turns to Zach Greenlee. Whoops! Fresno <laughs> State now turns to... We don't know. We'll get we, to that in a minute. We, uh, ha- we have no you idea. Know, I, I mean... It's it's a, it's unfortunate for Virgil. I want to stay with him for a second. It's unfortunate for Virgil, uh, but but I don't think that this is sort of a. Uh, I think that the, the coaching staff made the right call by playing him. I think they you know uh, the kid was ready. Uh, he proved he was ready, and he just as easily could have gone through the season without taking an unfortunate hit. Um, Really, honestly, I mean, once he made it out of the Ole Miss game, you're thinking, okay, he's in the woods or, you know, he's out of the woods. And then Utah comes along and then and now it's, you know, I mean, it. but but it's not one of those things where I feel somebody would be justified saying I told you so. Like the kid went out there. He played. He played very well. And it was sort of a freak thing, man. It It, it does happen. It's happened to quarterbacks who have been much older and much bigger. Uh, but Jackson, I don't know. What's your opinion? Is this sort of a they shouldn't have done this moment, or did Virgil win you over with his play this season? Or I'll give you a third option here: Did Virgil win you over with his play, and it's still they shouldn't have done this? <laughs> well, as a lot of people on the board pointed out that not even 24 hours after Virgil's uh, injury, that Tony Romo had virtually the same injury and he's a lot bigger than Virgil is right now. So, uh, but I think the point of it is that he was probably going to get hurt in a variety of different ways, whether it was going to be a, a collarbone or, or an ankle or anything else really. Um, but they put him out there and it looked like he was the best quarterback to lead this offense after the old miss game. But those three quarters against Utah weren't pretty. I, I know Utah's a pretty good defense, but, to not be able to lead a drive of more than five plays for over 30 minutes is pretty bad, to be honest. And uh, then we have Greenlee come in and throw three touchdowns in the quarter, and I think everyone kind of switched their minds back in the Greenlee mode uh, just one week after they had written them off. Yeah, and all th- and all of those big plays were actually on our intro. <laughs> all of them happened even, in the fourth and quarter. not even 12 hours later... They switched over to Ford Childress mode, which is awesome. <laughs> like, I love this team. But, I mean, does I just want to stay with this for a second. Let's just say that, that Virgil hadn't been injured. Like, 
do do you Jackson look at this and say okay by by the time that Greenlee came off the bench and threw three touchdown passes Utah pretty much had this game well in hand and I I want to crush our predictions here because we we you know we we don't pat ourselves on the back back too very often <laughs> yeah right uh, um, but I predicted. And, and I actually, I, I missed this one by one point, but, but that one point actually led into another point that I, that I had mentioned. Uh, I had predicted that Utah would score 44 points. They actually did end up scoring 44 points. And I, I found myself for the first time praying for, you know, somebody to block a kick or for him to shank it or for the hold to be bad just because it would have been awesome. Uh, but by nailing that extra point, Utah then became the eighth team, Power Five team in the Deruder era, to to put up forty five plus on Fresno while still holding them to less. Um, but uh, even if if Virgil doesn't get injured, if 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 you take that into account and look at what Utah, because one once Utah needed to, they came right back and made it out of reach for Fresno. Like it wasn't like we clearly saw that when when even though Fresno was fighting back, Utah still like uh, yeah we're gonna put you away. Is this did did Greenlee really come off the bench and light it up, or did Utah players find their way to the bench mentally? <laughs> well, yeah, the game was. It seemed like it was over at the time, even when Fresno State was getting within two touchdowns. There wasn't very much urgency on either I side. I want to cut you think. off one second, too, because yeah. I, I feel like this is awful. But if, if I don't do this, I, I will forget. <laughs> Jackson, you, my friend, predicted before the game that the score would be a lot closer. Like, this was literally written in your predictions. Forget about my 45 points. You flat said... The final score of this game would in no way, shape, or form be indicative of what happened on the field. Did you knock your prediction out of the park, or are you moving back on that a little? Well, the, the three quarters, <laughs> the, the first three quarters were played almost exactly how I was expecting. It was just that fourth quarter, all of the hell broke loose with the special teams touchdowns and the Greenlee scores. I really thought that this was going to be a, a lower scoring game and that uh, even though it would look closer, it wouldn't be, and it wasn't for three quarters. Fresno State uh, had trouble moving the ball at all, and Utah was just couldn't be stopped. But they were doing it at a much slower pace than Ole Miss did. <laughs> In my prediction, I was getting kind of close there myself until you know, until they they took off on that, and I was I wasn't even in the ballpark at the end of the game. But Josh, you you did the best uh, out of uh, out of everybody. Yeah, I would have had it if 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 Utah had even bothered to play special teams. Like if Utah <laughs> plays special teams, I think I may have actually had it. Yeah, yeah, like, you were being close. Um, so, hey, Jackson, uh, yeah. quick question, real quick. How? What is the? You were out at practice today, weren't you? Yes. Okay. So, what is the the feel? What is the kind of atmosphere going on right now? With Virgil being out and with um, Greenlee's kind of predicament, we haven't even talked about that. So if we're gonna if we're gonna ask him about it, we should probably talk about that. Okay. Well, then let's jump into that. Then I mean, so in the in the midst of the Utah loss, it then came out that uh, poor, fort- unfortunate Zach Greenlee had been at a party 
drinking, had thrown a beer bottle onto a lawn, failed to notice Johnny Law right there. <laughs> and Johnny Law tried to talk to Greenlee, who was having none of it, and, and tried to, to get away to ditch the evidence. Uh, the result is is Johnny Law arresting Zach Greenlee for, for drunk and disorderly. And then Brandon Hughes decides he's going to play Batman. <laughs> And come to his rescue and take on four different officers to talk to Greenlee in the back of a cop car, despite repeated instructions from the officer not to do so. Uh, after eventually getting his back broken like Bane, uh, you know, Hughes, uh, no, he didn't really get injured, <laughs> but uh, Hughes, you know, relents. He, too, gets arrested. So does a woman's soccer player, Fanny Johansson. Uh, uh, who actually, according to my sources, may have been the angriest of all of them. <laughs> um, so that, hey, that says something, man. For those who think, like, Brandon Hughes is a badass, apparently apparently, Fanny was the one that officers were the most concerned about. Uh, so so put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's That was a fun little takeaway from this story. But I digress, and now... Uh, obviously Fresno State had to address the problem. They had to announce that Greenlee had been arrested, uh, so had Hughes, and that they're investigating, and that's really where it stands. So now, Jackson, <laughs> what, if anything, do we know about this situation ahead of this weekend's game against San Jose State? Well, there's nothing official, uh, no tip from the team. Uh, did get to talk to some receivers, uh, not specifically about what to expect on Saturday, but I, I get the sense that Greenlee is going to miss some amount of time. Just the vibe I got, um, maybe just a quarter or a half of the game. I'm not sure, but my expectation is that uh, they're going to be playing for Childress uh, to some extent on Saturday. Now, what's what's the atmosphere there? Is the, is there you know a tension that you could cut with a knife, or is everybody just kind of going on as business as usual? Well, I mean, it's kind of awkward as a reporter. You don't want to, I mean, go right out and just ask for uh, everyone's thoughts on what happened because everything is OPC these days, and uh, you're probably not going to get an answer that's worthwhile anyway. But uh, other than that, I mean, the team seemed, uh, I mean, didn't seem too phased by it, to be honest. Um, I'd heard that uh, Greenlee maybe had to do some extra uh, sprints or something earlier in the week, but uh, that that's about all I got out of it. Doesn't it seem unfair that uh, uh, you can't get those sound bites these days? Like, there always used to be one or two dudes on the team that you could always go to for the F that guy outtake, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and they never did it in a way that was demeaning to their teammate. It was always just, you always had that one outspoken leader on the team that was calling them out for what they were being, and that's a dumbass. There was always one dude you used to be able to go and get that from. <laughs> that guy still exists, but the coaches won't let him talk no more. <laughs> You, you think it would be? And like, I'm not talking about Fresno State. I mean, I don't think there's a no. I, we wouldn't even know if there were a specific guy on Fresno State that did that. But <laughs> in general, uh, there always used to be that one guy on the team. No matter who you were dealing with, you 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 isolated as a journalist that guy early because you knew you could always go to him and ask him what was going on with everybody. They always had an opinion. 
Now you just have to use those dudes as off-the-record sources. Yeah, yeah, it's so true, because we don't want to get them in trouble as well. So you got to do what you got to do. Are you guys ready to jump into some of these listener questions then? Um, let's start off with uh, one from SoCal Valley Dog. So, uh, you know, staying with the quarterback situation, uh, Jackson, I'm going to give you this question here. Um, who is the more polished college quarterback at this point? Is it going to be Kilton Anderson or is it going to be Ford Childress? And, you know, since Ford Childress is going to be starting, I'm guessing it, they're going that he would be the more polished quarterback at this point. What's your take well, yeah, on it? I think he's got just more experience. Just he's been to West Virginia. He spent a year in junior college, and now he's at Fresno State. He's had three different coaching staffs to learn from, and he's been out of high school for a while now. He even enrolled early at West Virginia, so that gives him a whole nother semester on top of Kilton. Uh, Anderson, just a redshirt freshman, is still learning the system and seemed to get lost in the shuffle a little bit in this uh, quarterback competition this uh, August. But uh, he seemed to be the fourth-place guy with Ford being a not-so-distant third uh, compared to the, the two front runners, So I think there won't be too much of a drop-off, I don't think, going to Ford. It's just he's not going to know the playbook as well, and he's not going to be as uh, physically ready uh, with the reps. Josh, you got anything to add to that? Uh, no, because I, I think that the next one's similar enough that I can piggyback off that. So I can, you know, we could just sort of do, you know, question for me, question for Jackson, oh, okay, question for okay. Jackson, question for me, question for well, me. <laughs> well, then uh, I'll, I'll, so basically, all right, yeah, set me up. Set me up here with the next one. Sorry, we can see the questions. They can't. Yeah, no problem. Let me throw this one at you then. Who is the better fit for Shram's style of offense, Kilton Anderson or Fort Childress? Well, uh, sort of piggybacking on what Jackson said, like I just said I was going to do. Um, <laughs> I think I think what's interesting about this is is that you know Jackson mentions that Kilton had sort of fallen out of the shuffle, got lost in the shuffle, fallen out of favor rather, uh, or got lost in the shuffle. If there was ever a golden opportunity for Kilton to get a fresh start, like this is it. Chasen's out for the year. Like he he is. You know, I'm not I don't mean this quite literally, but he's persona non grata in this competition at this point. He'll be back next year to probably take your job from you. But right now, you don't have to worry about him. Uh, so it's now down to you, Greenlee, and a guy that doesn't know the system. And apparently Greenlee would rather get hammered and arrested than than learn the playbook, because regardless of what happens with this situation, there has been some questions not necessarily from me but now i'm hearing it a bit more though i'm cautious in these situations because i think people tend to pile on to kids and so they always have a story at the ready when they were never bothered by it before so i don't know how much i believe the the these rumors about greenlee sort of being a party guy and, and needing to mature but but if if they are true then then I don't know that Kilton Anderson's ever going to get a better chance to sort of show that he could be the guy. With that said, because Kilton Anderson at no point has shown that he's got this mental toughness about him, he seems to get caught up in, in things and gets bothered by them, until he can sort of break that, anybody is going to be a better fit in a guy like Shram's offense than that guy, not because of his talents, because Kilton is one of the most talented guys out there. I, I honestly think that when Kilton is 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 100 percent focused and locked in, he's probably better than 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 Greenlee, at least 
in my estimation, from everything that I've seen. The problem with Kilton, the problem with with where he's been at, is that he's never been able to move past some of the mental hurdles. And because he can't move past those mental hurdles, if you cannot, in a guy like Schramm's offense, with abrasive as he is, even though he's definitely improved, and it's worth noting that he's improved. I don't think he's gotten enough credit for not really yelling at his guys as much this year. That's not to say he doesn't save it for practice. He sure does, but... <laughs> He's not doing it as often. He's trying to adjust and, and, and showing improvement in that arena. And if Kilton can't match that improvement and not be bothered by it, you're just not going to succeed in Tram's offense. So Ford Childress doesn't seem to be affected by the coaching or he's still too new to be bothered by Shram at this point. So that's why I would go with Ford Childress. By uh, Jackson, is that fair? Is anything I said out of bounds there? Uh, I'd agree. I'd I just think uh, Ford right now, they, they thought he was the third guy in camp, and I know they wanted to get him in against uh, Evelyn Christian in week one. It didn't quite work out that way because of the, a fumble late in the game, but they got him in there against Ole Miss. Uh, they made uh, an effort to, to make sure he got up there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure his first throw against Ole Miss is when yeah. the Shrams going to have him put up on his wall, but... You know, I, I, I mean, you got to feel bad for Shram, man, because, you know, he's like, F that. I'm going to take that guy out. He keeps throwing. He throw pick six. So then he puts four Childress in there who does the exact same thing. It's like <laughs> Shram really couldn't win for losing because his big thing is not turning the ball over. But I think mental toughness plays into that. I think that having the ability to shrug that stuff off and get back out there and not have it hanging over your head. Like right now, you can't afford to get up in your own head because the Bulldogs just don't have the options. If Greenlee is suspended for any determinate length of time, then the coaches aren't going to pull him off the bench just because they're losing a game. If they announce that he's suspended, he's going to stay suspended. And so whomever it is that's taking those snaps in that place has to have that mental toughness to where they can put mistakes behind them. And right now, or at least lately, Kilton hasn't shown this coaching staff that he's capable of doing that. And I think that that's part of why he's fallen, you know, and that's not to say that it's nothing that Ford hasn't done. This is in addition to Ford's play and the way that he's practiced in his overall talent level. But when you add all of those things together and combine them with Kilton's at least lack of de matured mental toughness at this point in his career, he just doesn't make for a good fit in this offense until he can sort of get his head, head around letting things go and putting it behind him. Well, here's, here's a quick one. Another question just to kind of add on to that a little bit. Say, say uh, Greenlee uh, does get suspended for say a quarter or two quarters and uh, four children is the start. It starts the game. He comes out and lights it up. Does Greenlee even sniff the field after that? Uh, that's a great question, Lucio, but the answer is yes. And and there's one reason why, and I think Jackson will kind of chuckle when I say it. This staff can't seem to pick a damn quarterback. So I don't care how good the guy does. Somebody else is going to see the field this season. I would bet your life savings on it as well as my own. Jackson, <laughs> would you, I mean, fair? Yeah. Like, <laughs> unintentionally, hilariously true. <laughs> I mean, they might run the ride the hot hand if that were to happen, but uh, I, uh, there's no way you could commit to 
afford playing the rest of the season uh, by himself at quarterback. But, but do you even yeah. pull him out of the, the game? The first time he makes a mistake, his ass is coming back out, especially if Greenlee's off suspension. Like, there's just no way one of these guys, if they haven't done it already, like, they're not they're, they're even, not going to put that much confidence in the coaching staff, to put it even if tactically. If, even if he lights it up for like three touchdowns no. in the first quarter, you, no. you still There's, think they'll pull him out? He could he could break Derek Carr's single season <laughs> touchdown record, you in, know, if in he the wanted, quarter. In, yeah, in the first quarter alone. <laughs> and the very first time he threw back to back interceptions, Shram would have the next guy ready. Like it's just these guys for for every good game that they're going to have on a, on, on a realistic note, for every good game that they're going to have. You can count on mistakes being made in the future and, and moments will there where they will struggle. And, and this staff doesn't seem to want to stick with somebody when they're struggling. They seem fine to, to, to make a switch. And, and if, if, if you understand that that's the case and, and I'm not valuing it one way or the next, if you understand that that is the present reality, then it's probably at least a safe assumption that even if Ford Childress does really well, He's probably going to struggle against somebody. And when he does, the coaches won't be afraid to try and find a guy to go in there and give the team a spark. They've mentioned it. That's what they were looking for out of Chase and Virgil. And if they need a spark at another moment in time, this staff doesn't be doesn't seem to be afraid to call on somebody to deliver a spark. And that's why I don't think you could make that bet. Okay. Well, then, you know, going with that, that kind of logic, uh, Jackson – is Shram on a short leash this season? And do you think that we'll see them open up the playbook more uh, after what Zach Greenley did in the last uh, in the fourth quarter of the last week's game? Uh, do you think that they're going to open it up more? And is Shram starting to feel the pressure that he's on a short leash? What do you think, Jackson? Um, well, it appeared that they opened up the playbook in the fourth quarter with Greenley, but. According to DeRuiter, they were doing the same sort of reads they do every play. They they go in with the idea that uh, the, they'll either read the defense and run, throw short, or throw deep, just kind of based off the look. And apparently that's the looks they were getting in the fourth quarter out of nowhere compared to the first three quarters, <laughs> according to <laughs> what we've been told. Um, so if that's the case, I imagine they're going to go in with just the same uh, sort of mindset against San Jose State. Um San Jose State's got a pretty good secondary, so I don't know how, how much they're going to be able to throw deep, and they're probably going to need to lean on the run game in this one. But as far as Ram being on a short leash, uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, unhappiness with the coordinators, but as Shram especially, this is an offense with uh, a first-year quarterback, regardless of who it is, and a whole core of receivers that are, have not played until this season pretty much. So. I don't know. How, I mean, for a staff that's has two winning seasons and a, a third season that ended in a conference championship appearance, it's it's tough to pull the plug that fast. I think they've earned at least a a, well, a rebuilding year in that sense. Well, the next question, you know what, I'm Josh, I'm going to throw this one over at you because you've been right in the thick of this next question on the board. So it's only fitting that I uh, I kind of hit you up with this one. The question is: There's been a lot of, there's been a, a couple of posters hammering Zach Greenlee's regarding his behavior, like to party and to chase tail or what so what have it. Um, 
have you heard if Zach Greenlee's behavior is outside the norm for a college athlete or average for a student for this for this matter? Actually, uh, I think it's important to remember a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, this is the first time we've really had any sort of problem with Greenlee. And secondly, Chief Dyer even commented that this isn't a situation where they have so many run ins with the football team that as law enforcement, uh, as a law enforcement division, they feel a pressing need to make an example out of either Hughes or Greenlee. Like, and I think that that should tell you everything you need to know, whether or not Greenlee parties, I'm not in tune with his personal life. Like, I don't, you know, very intentionally keep up with players' personal lives to that extent. Like, obviously, if there's a story there, I try and track down it, track it down. Or if I hear things, I'll make mental note of them. But as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I haven't heard most of this stuff about Greenlee, the partying and whatnot until after this incident. Every knock that everybody would ever had about Greenlee prior to this incident in any source that I've ever talked to has always been about development. And it was only after this incident that I started hearing all of this stuff come out. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not true, but it means that I hadn't heard about it prior to this. So because of that, I see no reason to sit there and say, like, I need to be concerned about Greenlee's partying for this. Like, if this becomes a pattern or even happens an additional time, then, yeah, I'm going to be concerned about it because now all of a sudden you have a lot you have rumors and a pattern of behavior. So now there's a little bit more to go off of. But right now. This is a this is a dumbass mistake. Like, let's just get that out of the way. It was a dumbass mistake. He shouldn't have done it. I'm never going to excuse that. But it's a very college thing to do. And I can count at least 15 people in my immediate circle in college that had a run in with either a campus cop for being too drunk or, or a, a, you know, a BPD or, you know, Kern County Sheriff like. I mean, in, in, in the Valley, drinking and partying seem to go hand in hand. Like, there's a reason that both Fresno and Bakersfield made the drunkest city, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, top 10 lists uh, several years in a row. And it's because drinking is sort of what happens in these towns. So it's really, really, really hard for me after having lived here in the Valley for so long, like just not, and I'm not calling people here alcoholics, though that may actually be the case. <laughs> um, when I worked at Red Lobster back when I was an undergrad, putting myself through college, they had this stupid dealio called Diamond Club. And, and basically what it is, is that Darden, the, the parent company of Red Lobster, owns several restaurants, Olive Garden, Bahame Bree, Smoky Bones, and Seasons 52. Why I still remember all this stuff, I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but they own all of those restaurants, and all of them compete in, in what's called Diamond Club, which is to be in the top 1% of restaurants selling appetizers, alcohol, and add-ons and whatnot. Bakersfield, our restaurant achieved Diamond Club, and we, like all the servers, got to have a huge day off. But that year, the only Red Lobster that outsold ours in alcohol was the two-story Red Lobster in Times Square. Think about that for a second. 
a Bakersfield Red Lobster outsold every other Darden restaurant with the exception of a two-story Red Lobster in New York Times Square. Wow. How much alcohol had to be consumed at that one location in Bakersfield? And now you you know, you you stretch that out, extrapolate that out, and I'm sure you have a lot of partying. So whether or not Greenlee, sorry to be long-winded here, but whether or not he parties too much is really relative. But I, I stand by the fact that I think that this is a mistake until Greenlee proves that it's a pattern of behavior. And he should be given that benefit of the doubt, regardless of what he achieves on the field, unless he does this again. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we, we're not going to know until – until either something else happens or or we hear that Greenlee's been a, a model student after this point. So we won't know until uh, later in the future. But, uh, Josh, I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit because uh, SoCal Valley's dog's uh, next question, I'm going to throw this one back at you again because you were one of the first to actually uh, report this on at the Bark Board. Um, it's about the new recruiting coordinator. Um is the uh, new recruiting coordinator outside of Coach Tim DeRuder's staff? Is he primarily working under the AD? And then to expand on that, what do you expect the recruiting coordinator's full scope of operations to be? Oh, uh, yeah, he's going to be working directly with Barco. Like, I mean, the basic idea of what's going to go on here, and I know that we had covered this back when Barco first took over and Jackson and I were, were feeling out our sources. Um, and I'll keep it short. Cause I, I think Jackson, you know, he, he, he's so in tune with, with the various different recruiting coordinators around the mountain West that I think he'd have some really valuable stuff to say here. So on my end, I will say what I said in the beginning, Barco likes to hire a guy to oversee every single aspect of recruiting, track these kids, stay in contact with these kids, constantly meet up with these kids and arrange things because it's one less thing that his staff have to do. And as an aside from that, because people always say, oh, well, they, they're getting paid enough to do it. True. But by allowing somebody to chiefly take on those duties, it also ensures a steady stream of contact early contact in constant contact. And then this coach can sort of delegate or the recruiting guy can sort of delegate which coaches need to be spending their time with which recruits. And it streamlines the entire process. It's been very effective for Oregon. I always said Barco was going to put it in here, meet the guy who's going to do it. And I'm sure Jackson's probably got more to add. Um, well, actually, uh, I'm not sure. If uh, San Jose has a uh, person in this position, um, I know they're working on kind of a, a limited budget over there, especially in recruiting. And I don't know if it really makes any sense for Hawaii to have one of those uh, being out on the island. So I'm not, I don't know if, uh, if I've had much experience with this position, to be honest. Well, there you go. <laughs> that answers that Okay, then, then, then I'll sort of double up on my answer real quick. Uh, basically, it's just they oversee every single facet from logistics. It's it's very much – it's very much – if people were familiar with D-Ray, I, I guess now, you know, Stanklift uh, is, is one of the guys who takes care of it. But D-Ray, who was the football ops guy, took care of a lot of the logistical crap ahead of time, sort of like the gopher. 
that that really does a lot of the stuff. But they're they're not they're more than a gopher, man. They're extraordinarily important, and they build and set the tone for the relationships that these coaches are going to have with the recruits moving forward. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to, I think a great person to ask about this and, and what I'll try and do is I'll set it up is, is Lucio. We'll get Rob Boydston from Educk on okay. and, and Rob Boydston can explain exactly what this operation functioned like at Oregon down into detail. And, and so Bulldog fans will have an idea of what to expect. And and I, Rob, once upon a time, way back when I was first investigating whether or not Bartco would even become the AD, was actually the one who told me that this would end up happening if he took over. And, and he broke it down how it was going to work. And it was just as fascinating then. And so rather than try and like summarize the quality content that he gave me, I think I'll just reach out to him and we'll have him on a podcast and, and he can explain every bit of, of, of what Morimoto will be doing and, and how Bartko interacts with this particular individual and what he expects of them. I, I think that that would be probably a pretty informative podcast. OK, well, I, I wrote that note down to make sure that I remind you the, to get get a hold of him so we can add him to the show later on on another episode. But, you know, uh, Jackson. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a question by uh, by Harry I be, uh, I bar Harry I'm I know everyone's pretty familiar with him from the bark board. Jackson and I have stood outside a a a, a mall parking lot for about an hour and a half talking with Harry. We are familiar with Harry. Well, he's got a couple of good ones. Uh, first one he states he always does. His question is uh, Utah was a one dimensional team. How would you describe San Jose's QBs? I'm thinking we match up very poorly against them compared to Utah. I guess for more, for me, it boils down to the line play on defense, on offense and defense. Can you compare the two lines and perhaps perhaps give us an idea of the strengths and weaknesses of both? So, Jackson, what do you think? Okay, well, first off, San Jose State's quarterbacks, uh, they alternated Kenny Potter and Joe Gray uh, the first two games, uh, quarter by quarter. Uh, Joe Gray was the one of the two that was on the team last year. Um, he started, I'd say, most of the games, but uh, he's more of a, a pocket passer, I guess you'd say. Um, San Jose likes to do a lot of different things on offense. They like to spread the ball. They like to go under center. They, they pretty much do everything. And uh, Gray would be the guy you'd want under center, and Potter would be the guy you want in the shotgun. And uh, they, they kind of showed in the first two games they both had their strengths, but uh, Gray's big weakness has been that he hasn't been able to finish drives and uh, he seems to make critical mistakes uh, under pressure. And uh, for week three at Oregon State, uh, they went with Potter at quarterback to start. And it, uh, the word is he was going to play the entire game until he was injured right about the beginning of the second quarter. And so they brought back in Gray. And when he threw a pick six, uh, Coach Carragher pretty much pulled the plug on Gray and put in Malik Watson, who had not been in the quarterback competition since August when they narrowed it down to two guys. So that was pretty surprising. They did that so quickly. Watson didn't throw a whole lot of passes on target. Uh, so I'd say uh, unless the Bulldogs face Potter, they're in pretty good shape against San Jose State's quarterbacks. And uh, the latest from San Jose practice is that Potter showed up with a walking boot on Tuesday. Um, Coach Carragher seemed to be confident that they would have Potter, at least in the near future, if not by Saturday. But I wouldn't 
I wouldn't predict that he'll play on Saturday if he showed up in a walking boot on Tuesday. Um, so if they see Gray or uh, Watson, I think they're in uh, really good shape, to be honest. Uh, they'll have to depend on Tyler Irvin a lot at running back, and it puts them in a pretty similar boat to Utah. Um, and then as far as the lines, uh, I'd say San Jose State, that's probably the weaker point of their team is the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, not that they're awful, it's just that they've done a really good job recruiting the skills positions, the linebacker spots, and uh, it just hasn't been as easy as most Mountain West teams find to to recruit O-line and D-line talent. And so I think that would be uh, a point of weakness compared to the rest of the team for San Jose State. Uh, Fresno State uh, did really well running the ball with Martez Waller against them last year, and I'd imagine they'd like to get back to that on Saturday. Um, and then we'll see uh, how much pressure they can get and the containment of Tyler Irvin uh, on defense. Okay, and Josh, do you you want to add anything to that before I move on to the next one? Or you know, man, I I I think that Jackson did a fantastic job answering that question. <laughs> and in truth, there's probably nobody better to break down the San Jose State team. Well, I kind of figured he would know it all. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I feel like he knows at least one thing about them. I don't know why. Like I just, I get this feeling like he, he, he spends a little time there. So, <laughs> I mean, it did, probably wouldn't hurt to ask him a question or two about him. Probably all of them. <laughs> well, he would probably be the one to know because he's the one of, that, that really works with them a lot. So, but the next question uh, it's also by Harry. So, Josh, I, I, I think uh, I think you can handle this one. Um, he says, I believe Coach Tim DeRuder has backed himself into a corner with his with this standards. Um, I do not see how he can apply the standards he has to Laz and Scott and simply let Greenlee go with a hand slap. I wonder how the team will react. So, what do you, what do you think about uh, his kind of view on this? Uh, it's kind of kind of interesting. What will Coach Tim DeRuder do? Um, I think there's a bit of difference, uh, with, with Laz. Laz doesn't have any goodwill built up and Laz started out on the wrong foot, if you will, uh, with some of his decisions. Um, you know, as, as, as you look at some of the other decisions that, that, you know, some of the other posters on the board have brought up a guy like Dylan Root, like again, and, and I can't stress this enough. And I think, you know, if I'm overstepping here, you know, please step in and, and say you disagree, Jackson. But I think Jackson would even tell you that even before that happened, like Dylan Root was a guy everybody expected to be out of the program before on the field. It was just I mean, am I wrong there, Jackson? Like, I mean, wasn't that that, you know, the un, unspoken sort of feeling about where Dylan Root would end up because of his decision-making. Yeah, I mean, you have some of these guys that are just not doing something to immediately get themselves kicked off the team, but just each year getting that one-game suspension or getting disciplined over the offseason, like Victor Dean, we saw, kind of went through the same thing, was eventually out of the program, and it didn't come as too much of a surprise when the announcement came. Yeah, I just, I, I, I think that, Everybody wants to pretend that there's a one-size-fits-all sort of way of dealing with these situations and that the, the truth is there never has been, especially in sports. Sports is all about favoritism. 
And 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 people probably do well to remember that. And I know that there's people on there who've played ball and they had coaches that had the same policy for everybody across the whole team. But that's not really the norm. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, this even comes down to simple things like um, learning players' names. You know, Lane Kiffin didn't even bother to learn the names of special teams players. <laughs> uh, no, this is true. I, I've had special teams players tell me that Lane Kiffin just did not at all bother to learn their names. Uh, you know, Bobby Bowden is famous for having never known the name of anybody who was not in his starting lineup. Yeah, I, I mean, to say that players should all be treated the same is 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 an appeal to 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 a utopia that will never exist in sport. Guys exist in different stratas. Quarterbacks are are chief among them. And right now, Fresno State's in a position where they don't have a lot of options. If Fort Childress goes out there and is completely inept. Do you really want to be DeRuiter having gone out there, taking a strong stance on this and saying, OK, well, we've decided to suspend Zach Greenlee for three games to send him a message. Cool message sent. But now if four Childress cannot get the job done and, and, and struggles at all, like say he has two bad games in a row. Now you have two losses to San Jose State and San Diego State. You're, you're done. You're done in conference play at this point. You're playing for the opportunity to even go for a bowl, which traditionally has not gone well for Fresno. <laughs> so that's an understatement. I'm not sure that that's and I'm not saying that they can't win a bowl. I'm just saying I'm not sure if that's going to be a hugely a huge motivating factor, given how they've gone. So I I don't know if you want to tie your hands behind your back over a college kid being a college kid. Um, you know, one of the posters I, I at a Dog Valley or whatever, I know one of his other questions was, is I'm seeing a first quarter suspension for Greenlee. If I'm DeRuiter, this is where I come down on that. Based on everything I know about the situation, including from both sides, sources have talked to me on both sides, the violator and, and the violatees, I guess. Um Greenlee is the one in this situation who, who probably behaved the best after behaving the worst to start out. And, and, and so I don't know that he really deserves much more than a quarter, maybe a half at the most. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I, I tend to agree with you. Um, it's just, it, he's a kid being a kid. I mean, uh, it's going to happen, but you know, a lot of people out there don't see it that way, and you, it is what it is. You just gotta you gotta roll with the punches. So let's move on to the next question. And Jackson, I'm gonna make this a, a two parter because they we already touched on one of these uh, questions was the status of San Jose San Jose's quarterback. So you already talked about that. So I'm gonna say, is there any other injuries uh, to key players on San Jose? And let's just make it. On either side, San Jose or Fresno State, you know, injuries, suspensions, what have you. Is there anything else that stands out for this game of key misses for either team? Um, nothing really comes to mind outside of a Chase and Virgil, of course, for Fresno State. But uh, I know San Jose State had a few guys that were questionable last week, and uh, the majority of them uh, turned out uh, okay to play. The big one's Christian Tago because... 
I mean, this guy is one of the, he's got to be one of the best linebackers in the Mountain West. He's you watch him play, and he just really stands out for San Jose State's defense. And the Air Force kind of uh, the the player got ejected for the hit they put on him, which was uh, when you're running that triple option offense, you're going to have opportunities in the open field, but uh, wasn't uh, the most uh, uh, <laughs> wasn't the most clean of hits, I, I guess I would say. Um, but Tago went out with a concussion and there was questions of whether he'd be back uh, soon. And, and he played against Oregon state and looked just fine. Um, and just the big one, Kenny Potter for San Jose state. Again, uh, coach Carragher thought he'd have him back for Saturday, but being in a walking boot on Tuesday, I don't know if my fantasy quarterback was in the walking boot on Tuesday, I, I'd, I would start <laughs> I, looking for the waiver wire. <laughs> I, I would send him on the bench. I, I, would, I would tell you, um, but you know, it wasn't all bad news this week. Uh, I know there was one thing, one piece of good news that came out this week that kind of got buried in a shuffle because of everything else. So, Josh, you know, it's the return of Hardaway, and one of the one of the um, listeners, Fire nineteen seventy seven, he wants to know what can we expect out of Hardaway this week. So, Josh, what do you think? Uh. Probably limited, you know, I, I, I think that this is a staff that are going to probably ease him back into the offense. They're a staff that, that like to take care of their players. They've, they've proven to be very cautious with injuries. Um, you know, even look at a guy like Meisenheimer, uh, they've eased him back into this offense. So I think if you look at the track record of how DeRuder takes care of his guys coming back from injuries, um, it's, it's, he never really throws him back in there to the fire. But, uh, Jackson, as always, you are free to disagree. Uh, I got the chance to talk to Hardaway today, actually, at practice. And um, it was interesting for me because the first week of camp, I was expecting to really see Hardaway just out on the side. And he actually took part in some reps and was looking pretty mobile for being at that point in his recovery. Um but it still took him till this point in September, like they projected for him to get cleared. Uh, today he told me he felt mentally he was a hundred percent and physically he was about 90%. Um, I think the big, I, th- I think he'll, he'll be okay to, to get out on the field. I just think how do you, you know, how do you ease him into the rotation? Uh, they already seemed like they had a pretty good idea of what they were going to do coming out of Abilene Christian. And then you throw Damari Scott in there with all those newcomers, and now you have Hardaway also on the outside. Um, it's going to disrupt the chemistry a little bit because I, I do like what Keyshawn Johnson and Josiah Blandon have been doing out there. And, uh, of course, Scott came in right away and added a boost in his own way. Um, so there's not as, as big of an urge to get Hardaway out there right away like when we thought he first got injured, the Fresno State would be in trouble. But uh, having Blandon out there really eases things, I think. Now, um, adding on, you know, to other players that that made the return, Meisenheimer last week seemed to to kind of get into the game more than he has uh, as of late. Now, one of the one of the uh, listeners was asking a question about Meisenheimer uh, because he, he was more involved in two back set formations this past game and had some success. Um, can we expect more of that from Schramm this week? What do you think, Jackson? I, I think so, um, especially with knowing uh, San Jose State kind of struggles against the run game and they have such a good uh, pass defense. I think Fresno State 
Uh, should game plan to run the ball a little more in that two-back set could help. Uh, I know Meissenheimer, back when Pat Hill was here, that is, it was Meissenheimer's first year. They moved him to fullback, and so he has plenty of experience being a lead blocker. Uh, he's been around it for a while, and I think – I don't know how much we'll see of it. I mean, it's just like the two tight end sets. We saw it in fall camp. We heard about it, and I don't know if we've seen it at all so far. And the two back sets made their first appearance uh, against Utah, so I, I don't know if we'll see a ton of it, but – Now's the time to use it if you're playing San Jose State, I would say. You know, I, and I'm just I'm going to combine these next two questions together, and either one of you can can answer this one. Uh, the, he's asking the question, it seemed that the team didn't go up tempo much with Virgil against Utah. In fact, it seemed the plays in were slow and compared to the years past. Was that a case of, of a rookie quarterback or the staff wanting to slow the game down and keep Booker from pounding the defense? Or both, it says he says when the team does go up tempo, they do seem to have some success. Otherwise, the no huddle just gets everybody lined up waiting for the play call and gives the defense time to figure things out. So, what is your guys's thoughts on this? I mean, the up tempo it's designed to kind of keep the defense off guard, and they haven't been using much of it in the in last game. They really didn't use much of it. What do you what are your thoughts behind the whole process? What's going on here? Uh, so Jackson, why don't you start this one off, and then I'll throw it over to to uh, Josh. I think first off, you you kind of need some success first to get the tempo going because if you throw an incomplete pass or you run up the middle for no gain, you know the the urgency is not as there uh, to get to the line of scrimmage and get the next play off. Whereas if you throw a ten yard pass and it's a first down, everyone's sprinting to the line trying to catch the defense off guard. So when you have Virgil throwing a, a lot of short passes, uh, some of them incomplete, uh, the majority of them, I believe, against Utah, uh, the, the opportunity wasn't quite there. But uh, clearly this offense moves best when it's going up tempo, when they can pressure the defense and uh, get some momentum rolling. They, they move the ball a lot easier. Josh, anything to add to that? Yeah. I, yeah, I think Jackson pretty much hit the nail on the head. Tempo is a tricky thing, man. Um, you know, it's one of those things that coaches live by. But the problem that I've noticed with them, and, and, and this is, you know, whether it's USC or whether it's Fresno State. And, and, and you saw it with USC this past weekend is that when when they can't get their tempo going, when they can't play their game. Coaches who favor that style of system seem to have a lot of struggle adjusting and playing somebody else's game. And if Fresno state, when Fresno state comes across the inevitable mountain West opponent who forces them into a different style of game, we haven't really seen that this, this team can, can adjust to that, uh, uh, outside of Waller. So uh, Waller's fine, but you can count on him getting injured at least at one point during the season, especially, especially <laughs> if they continue to run him as often as they're running him right now he is against loaded up. defensive fronts. But if, if, if the tempo isn't the problem so much as being able to adjust to something else that doesn't work when the tempo's not there. That that's that's my issue with the scheme. I, I realize that's probably completely off topic from what you guys were saying, but 
that, that that's really my thoughts on tempo is that it, it these this this offense knows how to work it like I, I mean it's pointless to spend time talking about how they do it they can do it yeah. hell they were even able to do it last year to a certain limited extent with Burrell it's what they know how to do but it's the other things that I think they need to catch up on or there needs to be better execution yeah and that's that's plain and simple I mean they just they have not been able to execute when when play after play just you know fails they kind of have to slow it down to try to figure out what what play is actually going to work that the team can actually execute and let's be honest they haven't been able to execute much lately so it's a it's a catch 22 so um J- Jackson I'm going to throw this one over to you it's a, it's a San Jose State question uh, Bulldogs Blue was asking, are San Jose State's woes coach or personnel driven at this point? Uh, I think it's coach driven, to be honest. And it's tough because they've done such a good job recruiting. You'd like to see them uh, take advantage of that. But, I mean, it's it's not turning into wins through Coach Carragher's uh, time at San Jose State. Uh, especially you look at the last two games, Air Force and Oregon State, those were two games that they held a, a lead, or they I felt like they had control of uh, at halftime going into the third quarter, and things just crumbled apart in both of those games. Crucial turnovers, uh, mistakes, and this is not unusual. This was a team that uh, only won three games last year, and it looked like they kind of threw in the towel after getting beat by Fresno State last year. Um, they kind of put them in a position where they were going to have to do some uh, extreme work to come out of that season at 500 so uh, it just seemed to all kind of fall apart from there uh, a writer at uh, the San Jose State site just kind of touched on some of the offensive uh, struggles they've had in Coach Carragher's era there's several several uh, games you can use as examples where the offense just kind of disappears for two to three quarters at a time and it's, it's just a trend at this point because I've seen the team scrimmage. I've seen the recruiting analysis of these guys coming out. And by all accounts, this is a group that should be able to win a decent amount of games year in and year out uh, as it stands right now. And it just hasn't come together. And uh, I don't expect it to come together by this week unless uh, Potter is ready to roll. And maybe, just maybe, it'll happen. But... Um, if it's Watson or Gray, I think you'll see the same kind of struggles, to be honest. So you're, you're pretty much saying that the talent is there. It's just the, the coaching is what's a little less to be desired at this point. Yeah, and it's not even that just like, of course, people, they talk about Fresno State. They say, wow, you know, the secondary is just getting beat. It's happened for a few years now. There's not a whole ton of San Jose State you point out. I mean, the run defense has been tough. They've played a lot of triple option teams over the last couple of years, but there's not any really glaring weaknesses. Uh, they haven't had the quarterback they want since David Fales left, but there isn't a ton of glaring weaknesses in the team. It's just they haven't been able to pull out wins when they've had opportunities to, and I've got to point that to the coaching staff. Okay. Well, there you have it. That's Jackson's take on it. He uh, he thinks it's more coaching than anything else, so let's hope that the coaching stays where it's at for Fresno this weekend. <laughs> so... Um, now, the next question comes from one of our Facebook listeners, Mario Capote. And, uh, Josh, this one, I'm going to I'm gonna throw it at you. Uh, when will the defense start Facebook to... listeners? What's that? Yeah. We have Facebook listeners? Well, 
you know, he's he's one of our followers. Okay, let's just say Facebook followers. How's that? Is that better for you? I just didn't know if we had a new like audio enterprise on the Facebook. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> There's always ways. I'm working on it. I'm- I don't doubt it. That's why I was I was like, wait, what's going on? Is because you are clever like that. Oh, I, I'm, I'm. I was making fun of you. I was more concerned about your devious nature. <laughs> oh well, there is. A, I have a couple of things coming up in the pipeline, and I'll share that with the with everyone as soon as I get it all set up. So, just stay tuned for that. Uh, but other than that, Mario Capote, one of our Facebook followers, he has the question: When will the defense start to blitz? Not sure I've seen much of that lately. Maybe they are trying and getting blocked. It's just sad. What's your take on that, Josh? Um, well, I, I mean, it's not like they haven't blitzed. They, they, they have. And, and Fresno State tries to generate pressure in different ways. It's not necessarily a traditional blitz package that Toast's using. A lot of times he's disguising those blitz packages and disguising his fronts and and uh, I mean, really what it comes down to, and, and I'm going to piggyback off of Jackson here, uh, you know, there hasn't been a lot of production on the defensive line since since Hill's guys left. And, and you know, a lot of a, a lot of people talk about whether, you know, Deruder, or not Deruder, whether Toth or Schramm should go and, and, and whatever to that for right now. If you wanted to point out or highlight an area of weakness for the Bulldogs, um, outside of the guys who already seemingly knew how to produce, Andy Jennings, Nico Mata, and, and, and you know Tyler Davison, there's been little to no production, out, you know, except for Madsen. Madsen's kind of come along nicely, but probably not as quickly as people would have hoped. Uh, the defensive line has been an area for concern, whether it's been in recruiting, whether it's been in natural development, or whether it's the, the amount of pressure that they can generate in games. So I think part of it has to do with the fact that the Bulldogs have not recruited the defensive line well enough for the future. And in and, and once guys left, they were unable to replace that production. But but I think the second thing is, is that when, when you're in a league uh, – uh, or when you play the schedule that Fresno State played last season and, and maybe some of the teams that they've played early in this season, especially if you look at a team like Utah. If, if you start blitzing Utah all out, then what Whittingham is going to dial up are a steady dose of screens to Devontae Booker and, 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 and designed keepers or bootleg rollouts for Kendall Thompson. And now you're playing directly into Utah's hands. You're basically saying that we're going to send everybody we have in the middle of the field. We're going to send them into your backfield, vacating that position against a quarterback who cannot throw the deep ball anyhow. So we're now going to give you the middle of the field. It's just you wouldn't do that. And against Ole Miss, they just couldn't. <laughs> like it's it, like, what do you want, man? Like, I, I mean, I don't know if anybody saw, but Ole Miss put a beat down on Bama before they, you know, kind of let off the gas and let them back in. Like they are a good team, but there are times when you want to blitz and there are times when you don't want to blitz. And, and, and I think that, you know, outside of Abilene Christian, there just really haven't been a lot of opportunities for Fresno state to blitz. But like Jackson said, you look at the injury woes for San Jose State and in and, and, and the coaching woes. I think you'll see a blitz or two this weekend. I'm just 
I'm just spitballing here, but I'm guessing Toth is going to try and see what an inexperienced quarterback with, who hasn't had much time to prepare can do against his exotic blitz packages. Jackson, do you think that the that the the Bulldogs are going to be, you know, sending a lot more blitzes this week uh, since it's not a it's not Old Miss and it's not Utah. They'll they'll have more chances to to send those exotic looks at San Jose. Do you think that that's uh, that's what might be happening this weekend? Well, I'd like to see them get a little more aggressive, and I think we will. I, I talked to to Coach Toth about. Uh, the linebacker packages because uh, with James Bailey becoming uh, one of the guys in the two deep that disrupted the, an already pretty solid four-man outside linebacking spot with uh, uh, Justin Green kind of being the odd man out. And what Coach Toth liked was that they had options to where they could put together different packages. So um, on third downs, you might see a different personnel group and go out compared to first and second down that would allow them to blitz if uh, it calls for that. Um, with Brandon Hughes, I don't know, maybe he'll be suspended. Uh, that kind of clears things up. And I don't know if we've seen a whole lot of Justin Green. Uh, there was even some talk they would look into redshirting him, but I can, I'm not quite sure if he's been on the field or not yet. Uh, Tobino, Kiki, uh, Edro, and Hughes have pretty much held down the outside linebacker spot with Bailey at nickel and I think you'll see them do a little bit more. They'll have more opportunities to be aggressive against not less competition compared to the last two games. Well, well, yeah, I mean, they should have a lot more opportunity. I mean, it's just, it's San Jose State. <laughs> it's not Old Miss. They don't have that speed. Um, Utah just seemed to have it kind of figured out to block everything, so... You know why not? I mean, I expect a big game out of the defense this week, so let's see. Let's see some of those exotic looks and see what happens. But you know, we got about three questions left. I'm actually going to combine two of these together because they can they can actually go together. Um, it you know, uh, Bulldogs Blue starts off the first part of the question. He asks, "Is Fresno State's uh, is Fresno's team morale more toward a snake in the grass, wounded animal backed in a corner?" and ready to fight, or is it a team in a tailspin? And if it's a, a team in a tailspin, how long is the leash for Coach Tim DeRuiter with Barco? Barco didn't seem happy at the Utah game when he had to do those PR activities, and he, he showed up on the big screen, and, and I saw this. Uh, Barco's face was not a happy one. And uh, so, you know, what kind of a team do we have right now? One one who's ready to fight or one that's in a tailspin? And if they're in a tailspin, how much how much of a leash does Bar- uh, Barco give Tim DeRuiter? So, um, Jackson, why don't, you, why don't you start that one off? Uh, well, as far as the team mentality, I'm going to say neither because <laughs> though the two the two losses were ugly. The main objective is to win the Mountain West Championship, and they're 0-0, and it took them – three conference losses before they got into that back-in-the-corner, ready-to-fight mentality last year. So I don't think uh, they're in that state right now. Um, obviously, playing at San Jose and San Diego is is more uh, impactful on the final standings as far as tiebreakers go. If, if they lose either or both of those two games, it's going to make things a lot more difficult than losing a, a divisional or interdivisional matchup. But... Um, I don't think we'll see that kind of uh, mentality of the team until 
uh, something drastic happens because at uh, zero and zero, uh, they have wiggle room to lose a game or two at this point. And uh, Josh, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, I mean, for the most part, I, I, I pretty much agree with Jackson. And I think Jackson hit the nail on the head earlier in the podcast when he said that that, that, that DeRuiter is probably going to get another year. I think that's going to be the case. But in my honest opinion, based on every my experience in college football, if this is another down year, regardless of, of whether or not they, they keep DeRuiter, if this is another down year, I think you're going to see a coordinator or at least a coach or two replaced. And I, I'm not sure that that's going to be optional. Okay, so that being said, the last question kind of goes hand in hand with exactly what you guys are, are saying here. Um, they Basically, what DogFan209 wants to know is if Fresno collapses and doesn't make a bowl game this year or squeaks in and does make a bowl game but loses again, do you see Coach Tim DeRuiter getting axed? Uh, and if so, do you think Bartko would possibly look at a as a, at as a replacement offensive head coach or a de- defensive minded coach? Will it take the f- uh, the firing of a, or will it take the firing of a coordinator to save Coach Tim DeRuiter's job? So, uh, Josh, you you kind of started hinting on that. So, why don't you go ahead and, and elaborate a little bit more? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm sticking with, like, it's going to have to be an atrocious season for, for DeRuiter to go. I, I think at this point that by hiring Morimoto, uh, that's, that's a signal of intent, uh, by, uh, Bartko that he intends to at least give DeRuiter another year. And this is sort of one of those times where you lessen what's on the plate of your coach in an effort to, to allow them more time to focus on W's. Uh, but yeah, I will stick with, 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 uh, uh, my prediction of a coordinator being gone though. I don't think that, that he'll wholesale replace both of them. Um, it's very rare that you see a coach fire an offensive and defensive coordinator. And usually if you have to, you might as well fire the head coach. Um, so, I don't know that we will see both of them gone. And I think Jackson brings up an excellent point with Schramm is that even if Schramm doesn't seem like he fans disagree with where he's at right now, he's got more going for him over his tenure, at least statistically, even if Carr was the guy pulling the trigger, Nick Toth doesn't even really have that, you know, um, he's got that one good year with Philip Thomas and, and, and that's about it for him. The rest of his defenses have been atrocious. And, 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 and I've said for a while now that I don't think Toth is a division one defensive coordinator. I'm going to stand by that. Um, I, I, I don't think he was ready for this gig. And, and, and ultimately if I were going to replace somebody, on that front, I would replace him with with I, I or I would replace the defensive coordinator. As for who you bring in, that I'm not sure right now. It'll be interesting to see how the season plays out. Maybe there's a guy out there looking to improve his lot. Um, but again, and you have to realize that any defensive coordinator who may take this job has got to realize that he may realize he's going to get fired if, if Deruder can't get it together. So. There's not going to be a lot of appeal there, and that may just give Bartko pause to say, all right, you're either going to win with this staff or I'm going to replace all of you. Uh, but usually you see at least one coach replaced, and, and I would think that it would be a defensive coordinator. 
Um, as for who they would hire uh, after um, good old what's his bucket, uh, Jeff Tedford. You know what? That would go over well with a lot of the uh, Bulldog faithful. My, my, my two predictions are Jeff Tedford or Scott Frost. Honestly, my two predictions. I, Jackson, you have anything to add on to that? What do you think? I think Josh covered it pretty well. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as the coordinators go, as far as Coach Reuters go, I think he hit it on the head. Um, I think Reuter, regardless of what happens this year, should have another year. Uh, you don't want to develop a reputation as uh, for firing successful coaches because uh, a lot of outsiders didn't really understand what happened with Fat Hill from – the Fresno State point of view it was very successful for a long time uh, for a mid-major program. And then for Druder to come in, win two conference championships, and have a third appearance and get fired a year later, I don't think it would be a good look for Fresno State uh, as far as going out and hiring another coach. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Josh. I mean, if, if they're going to replace, if you know, who would want to take that job if, they have to let go of someone like the defensive coordinator who would want to come in only to have the feeling that they might be gone the next season if the Rooter can't get it together. It's kind of a catch-22. I, 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 I understand where you're coming from. I mean, what do you do? I mean, Coach Tim DeRooter could be gone, and you'll be out of a job as well. So, And if if I was Bardco, I'd say, okay, I'll give all of you one more season, and then if you can't get it together, you're gone. And and then that's the way it goes, and I do like uh, the mentioning of uh, Tedford there. That I know that will go over well with a lot of the the old faithful here at uh, in Fresno. That being said, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up, and I hope everyone enjoyed the show. It is it was kind kind of a long one today, but you know we had a lot of good questions from our listeners, and we wanted to make sure that we got to all of them. So that being said, Josh, why don't you go ahead and start um, closing some of this up? If you want to, uh, if you want to leave any questions or comments for us, please go ahead and do so at FresnoState.scout.com or just BarkBoard.com. You can always leave your questions for me at Bulldogs Twist or at Barkboard Scout on Twitter. My esteemed colleague is Jackson M, as in Mary, Jackson M underscore Scout. Or you can follow our producer at Red Wave Report or just the site in general at Barkboard. Uh, you could like us on Facebook, download the podcast on iTunes, all of that good crap. And uh, this week you can expect a, a couple of previews, up, updates on the uh, Zach Greenlee situation. And I just got confirmation from my good friend at Educk, Rob Boydston, that he is going to be joining us or joining me for a interview on monday at 11 a.m so i if you want to know anything at all about the morimoto slash barco slash director of player personnel dynamic get those questions in this weekend and i'll be sure to ask them of rob on monday other than that jackson lucio take us away all right thank you everyone for listening and again tune in next week as we break down what happened against San Jose State and uh, we'll we'll set you up for the next home game which I believe is Utah State and so you know thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time